The nail in the coffin! Episode number 46. I'm Tom. He's Travis. We are recording on Thursday night, a little less than 24 hours away from the start of the American League Championship Series. And uh, Trav, um, pretty uh, pretty fun week of baseball for us here. And uh, you know things are going well for the Indians when uh, the biggest complaint we have, I think, through the entire division series was uh, about the TV broadcast. Yeah, no kidding. Uh that and like the the week that we now have off waiting for the series to continue yeah uh you know to be fair though i I, the one thing it's good there for the indians is just uh giving them a chance to set up the rotation exactly the way they want it uh get all those bullpen guys rested because in the uh the, the couple of games there that they used andrew miller and cody allen um, yeah, they rode them pretty hard. They yeah, did. It's nice to so, give them a couple of days to, you know, get back to back to square one, reset a little bit. Yeah, so still no Danny Salazar. Thought uh, thought we might have an outside shot of getting him in the bullpen or something for the uh, for the uh, LCS, but uh, sounds like he's not quite ready to go. So looks like we'll probably roll with just about everybody that was on the roster for the division series against Boston. What uh, before we look forward to Toronto? What uh, what were some of your big takeaways um, from that that sweep? Um, first, kind of back to the thing that we've mentioned a couple times in passing, the guys the guys that stepped up every game is that a it was a different guy every game, and b it was never the guy that you really would have been like expecting to step up, which is great. Um, one game it was Roberto Perez, um, another game it was. Uh, Chisenhall, the last game it was Coco and um, Naquin. So it was like it's it's these bottom of the lineup guys that seem to be stepping up, um, which is sort of crazy. But at the same time, um, you know, it's great to see because if those top of the lineup guys can, you know, get it going a little bit more even. Um, not that they didn't play well, but, you know, the big hits all seem to come from those those other guys that you're not necessarily expecting it from. And I think we're probably in agreement that it's really cool having Andrew Miller on the team. Oh, no um, question. He's and I don't know that I've ever looked at a reliever the way that you know, not on my team at least, where it's just like when he comes in, you're. It's exciting to watch the pitcher. Usually, you know, you're a little on edge, and we were for him. He he wasn't flawless, but you have. I don't know that I've ever had that much confidence in a reliever coming in. Um, at any point, even, even just watching other teams, I don't know that I've ever seen one that I thought was as dominant as he feels like he is at least. Yeah. The only other guy that I think has the level of intimidation like that is Aroldis Chapman with the Cubs, um, over on the national league side. But, um, I, I can never really remember any Indians pitcher being as just overpowering and dominant as Andrew Miller has been and every bit as good as advertised. And, you know, in terms of just some of those unlikely heroes in the lineup coming through, what was really crazy was not just that guys like, uh, 
Roberto Perez and Coco Crisp and Lonnie Chisholm were coming up big. It was the situations that they were doing it in. Um, Coco, I, I think he uh, hit um, his home run off a, a right-handed pitcher. And um, Lonnie, I know, had his big three-run homer in game two off of David Price, a left-hander. So those are situations you're kind of expecting um, maybe somebody else to, to come up to the plate there, like a Brandon Geyer or somebody like that in a for uh, for Coco, I, I guess, just because of uh, the platoon situation that they've been in all year. So to see them, I mean, the other, it kind of, the other thing it really goes back to is, you know, really what we said last week in terms of just uh, Terry Francona and the role he play. And man, he's just uh, <laughs> every string he pulls is the right one. It, it seems like he is just on the run of a lifetime. And um, it's wild. And you just hope he can keep it up because I mean, to be fair, like that, that's an impossible standard to, to keep up forever. And there are times when you're going to make the right move. I mean, it's like a, a game of blackjack where you'll make the right move and you'll still lose anyway. Um, and, you know, you got to figure those moments are going to be happening sooner than later. But, um, wow, it's uh, been really impressive. Yeah, I mean, he, he, can, do, he can do no wrong at this point. Um, it, it just seems – and, yeah, like you said, there was matchups. And, you know, it seemed like the guy that was in there maybe wasn't the guy that we would have gone to. And then, well, it all goes back to Tito knows more than we do. Sure does. He knows, <laughs> he knows his guys. He knows who – and I, I don't even think – like – I think, and I've heard a couple guys say it on the radio, guys that have played for him in the past, um, on radio and on TV. Like he's a guy that you want to do good for. So when you know he goes to a Coco Crisp or or Naquin or someone like that, and he says, you know, I I got faith in you. I, I'm gonna give you this, you know, give you this because I think Coco was pinch hitting. Um, and some, and, and you know, these aren't guys that are necessarily, you know, used to having a bunch of like pressure on them, but they want to go out and it, he seems like a guy that everyone wants to do well for. Um, so yeah, everyone's going out there and they want to do well for themselves. But I think, um, a, he makes them think that they can do it and B they want to do it, not just for themselves, but for the team and, and for Tito specifically, because everyone seems to love playing for the guy. Definitely seems like they got some good mojo going in that clubhouse right now. And you just watch the way those guys are pulling together. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. And um, it's been really impressive. And, uh, you know, injuries have happened. I mean, they've, it's been kind of a recurring theme throughout the year that, uh, you know, if a guy goes down, they find a way to have somebody else pick up the team. And, um, you know, he just keeps plugging in one guy after another and he shows the confidence in these players. And it's like you say, they, uh, when, when they get that vote of confidence, um, from the manager, um, they're going out and they're getting the job done. And, uh, it's been, it's been wild. Um, you know, and, and the one other guy that, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Chisholm Hall and Crisp and, and you had also referenced, Roberto Perez, um, doubly nice to see him have a pretty nice uh, division series, considering that the catcher who got away um, for what he thought to be greater pastures at the trade deadline, uh, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, will be uh, able to enjoy the LCS from his uh, from his recliner uh, this weekend. So congratulations to Jonathan Lucroy. Yeah, it's a nice case of sh- uh, <laughs> Shadenfreude from the from the Cleveland faithful. Oh. Um, that seemed to be the 
uh, a common theme online um, on the interwebs, if you will. Uh, sure was. Seemed, <laughs> everyone seemed to be airing out their feelings about John and Lucroy watching at home. Oh yeah, and and he played a pretty big role in in the Rangers uh, collapsing. I think he yeah, was he, one for nine. He did not contribute a whole lot. No, no that's for sure. One Meanwhile, for nine, we've stranded got... a lot of runners on base and um, uh, tried in vain to tag out the winning run at uh, the end of that series. So, yeah. Meanwhile, we've got uh, Bobby Perez uh, <laughs> going deep and tagging up, taking second when guys aren't looking, making all sorts of heady plays. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I have to think, you know, this obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but we certainly got way more out of our catcher than Texas did. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no other way to say it in, in the division series round. And yeah, it's a three, it's a three game sample size. So let's not go saying, you know, Perez is, is an upgrade or anything over Lucroy, but uh, one guy struggled during the regular season and showed up in these huge games while the other guy was sort of the opposite. So I think with for what this team is, we're we're okay with Perez right now. You know, can't say a whole lot bad about him. He stepped up huge. All right. So, a- any other thoughts on the division series? Um, no. The crowd showed up. I went to game one. I will say that. Um, and we sort of knew that they would. Um, but an awesome environment. Great crowd. And I don't know if you've, I don't, I never noticed this during the regular season. Cody Allen has an awesome walkout intro. Oh yeah. The black and white scoreboard and um, with the Johnny cash. Going, yes. It is awesome. I've never, I hadn't seen it. I didn't know it existed, but I was sitting there watching it when he came out and I was like, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty nice. It's they, pretty. I mean, it might be a bit much for a Cody Allen, but it is a uh, pretty awesome. So if uh, if you're at a game, anyone that's listening, if you're at a game, pay attention when he's coming into the game because it's pretty cool. I uh, I would totally agree with that, and I got to imagine it's even better when you've got close to forty thousand people in the stadium uh, going nuts for it as well. So yeah, that's... crowd was going wild. I'm a little I'm interested to see what sort of uh, what sort of Toronto presence we have in the crowd this weekend. Toronto fans travel really well. I mean, we've seen that in just about every sport um and it's not just a cleveland although cleveland seems to be um one of their strongest uh points of uh entry into the united states i guess yeah i mean it's a pretty easy trip right from toronto as far as cities that they can travel to it's got to be one of the easiest ones so i get why they're doing it it's just uh i hope they're uh i hope we, we we saw during the regular season um they weren't uh i'm not even sure they were a minority but they were vocal and I don't want to hear any of that shit uh, <laughs> now that the games matter. So if you're going to any of these games this weekend, make some noise, be an asshole, <laughs> let it out, make them not want to come back to Cleveland. <laughs> I know people are always like, oh, you know, be a good host. I don't fuck that. No, be a dick if you want. <laughs> wow. Certainly, I'm, Travis, I'm, tonight. I'm, hey, I'm letting it out. This is the playoffs. Their uh. feelings get hurt. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, it would be it'd be pretty pretty great if uh, if the Indians could end Toronto's season um, in the same round, basically the the league semifinals, uh, just like the Cavs did 
four months ago. Rappers. Yeah, that would be something else. Uh, it's kind of funny going against uh, Shapiro, too. That's sort of uh, the underlying story, I think, probably between the two teams. Um, he got off to kind of a bumpy start there, too. Like, um, you know, the, the, the GM that uh, whose name escapes me at the moment uh, it really had built that team and finally got them into contention. And then Shapiro comes in and uh, those guys were kind of clashing almost immediately and, and the GM's gone. And I think that upset a lot of people locally. Um, but uh, lo and behold, a year later, I mean, he's, they've got the team right back in the, uh, in the American league uh, championship series here, which is where they got to last year. So, um, you know, I, I think it was, uh, you know, probably the right time for him to move on from Cleveland. He did a lot of good things here. and um, I, Clearly, yeah. I mean, he's got a big hand in the way this team's put together right now. Yeah. That said, I, I do think it was time for him to move on. There, there were certain tendencies that the organization had when he was running things that uh, I feel like they've gotten away from now. Um, I don't know that they would have necessarily swung for the fences and tried to get Andrew Miller and Luke Croy and uh and have been necessarily as aggressive as they were at the deadline um i heard kind of an interesting story last week um through the grapevine that uh they they had a deal in place that would have uh possibly also brought carlos beltran in but uh, the lucroy thing kind of threw a wrench into that so um that you know the, the the tribe historically has always been very very careful with uh protecting their prospects and in, in trying to build up the farm system and really not just, you know, hedging their bets, I guess, more than anything and not really wanting to uh, go for broke and, and trade those prospects to try to get that one piece. And that was one thing they showed no hesitation with this year um, with Chris Antonetti running things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know that I think you and I, when the, uh, when the Lucroy and Miller trades went down, I think we were, pretty stunned that they were willing to do it even um considering what they were given up in both deals um i don't know that it was necessarily the money it was more the prospects i think yeah because i mean if you're the indians that's and you're in you know a market size like we are here yeah that's your lifeblood you're you, you can't you just can't afford to you know clear that out you have to keep those assets so i think you know, it just it, it and it kind of went against everything the Indians have historically done. So that sort of was a drastic change, but I think a welcome one at this point. Well, this is going to be a fun series, I think, with the Blue Jays because the regular season games against Toronto were really very entertaining. Really yep that that I can remember that series that was up at Rogers Center. I even back then I was thinking man, this would be an awesome playoff series if these two teams met up. Um, the one game up there was the 19-inning game where I think that was where the Indians actually set their franchise record for most consecutive wins, right? Or did they tie it with that one? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It was right around that time. I can't say for sure. Yeah, so it was that, that was like... It was the, during that streak. Right. It was That was like right around the, the tipping point of that streak. And then, of course, when Toronto came here, you had the Naquin walk off um, inside the park home run, which is arguably the most exciting play that the Indians have had in years. So uh, will, it, will there ever be a more exciting play than a walk off in the park home run? 
Hard to imagine anything like, topping how, how that in the regular that? season. You've you've seen you've seen everything else, every other scenario you've seen. The likelihood of you seeing a walk off in the park home run is so minute, and it's so just fucking bonkers while watching a guy keep running. Well, I I gotta think. I mean, there's a, a pretty strong likelihood you'll never see that again. That yeah, that um, that's gonna be hard to top or even match really. I right. I can't think of a more unlikely scenario, honestly, to end a game. No, no, I I don't I don't know that you could have a regular season individual play be more exciting than that. So. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, they also had that game where uh, what's his face Clevenger got called for a balk after he. Uh, after they'd already called time, which was sort of weird. Um, I don't know if you remember that one. Vaguely. Uh, so they had a guy on, and Clevenger has that little, like, step that he does, you know, that sort of, like, stutter step before he throws. And home plate ump called time, and then about five seconds later, the third base ump calls a balk on him, and there was a five five or six-minute delay while they got together and, like, talked it out, and they ended up not calling anything because time was already out. Um, and he ended up striking out either Encarnacion or Bautista, and it was it was a pretty big test for uh, for Clevenger because it was you know it was a, a tight game at that point. I think it was near the end of the game. I want to say it was maybe eighth or ninth inning, and he had guys on base. And if you know he could have balked in a run and he could have done a couple different things, and he didn't get rattled, so it was a pretty encouraging thing. And Tito said as much afterwards that. Uh, he didn't really want to go to Clevenger in that scenario, but he had him out there, so he figured, "What the hell? We'll throw the kid to the, throw the kid to the fire and see what he does." And he came out pretty well, so that was cool. Um, I remember watching that on a Sunday afternoon, actually. Ah, that's right. Yep, I do remember that now because that was when I was flying back into town, and uh, I, I was driving, and I was going past the stadium. I think right around the time that that happened, so that that does ring a bell now, but. You know, experience like that for Clevenger, I mean, he right now is penciled in to be starting game four of that's this series. A, you got to think that's going to be a bullpen day. Yeah, probably. You know, a couple innings from four four different guys. Did he go, I mean, he started some games down the stretch. Did he go more than four in any of his starts? Um, if he did, at, it wouldn't been, would not have been more than five for sure. At all this year, you mean? Right, because he, I mean, they brought him up, I, I want to say towards the middle of the year. And I I don't think he like really got into the rotation until they demoted Tomlin. And then he had to stay in the rotation once the, the injuries to Salazar and Carrasco hit. Um, but I, I felt like they were starting to maybe try to ramp him up a little bit, but yeah, the, if, if he gets the start in game four, they said the only way that wouldn't happen is if they have to pitch him earlier in the series. Um, so ideally right. you don't want it to come to that, but yeah, um, he won he, five against Kansas city a couple weeks ago. Okay. The end of September, um, pitched pretty well. Got a win, got a five, two win. Um, all of his other ones are one, two, four innings. He went five and two thirds back in August, um, against the angels. But yeah, for the most part, f- four innings, four to five innings was his cap. Okay. Um, and in most cases, wasn't even that. But he only had a few starts. A lot of those are relief appearances too. So yeah, hard to imagine he's going to go much more than four or five against yeah, Toronto. Yeah, I think he probably won't get through the order more than once. 
Uh, maybe, you could you could run him through halfway, twice. Maybe halfway through. I don't know if he can get all the way through twice. Yeah. But I guess if he gets to the bottom of the order, you might let him through that. But um, I think that's sort of what we expected from Tomlin, though, too. At least I don't know about you. Watching that game three, I was like, well, you know, Tomlin's going to get through. He's already gone through the order twice, and he's going to be done. But he was so damn sharp that they just let him keep going. And Tito had a pretty short leash on him and said, you know what? It was like once he got a guy on, basically, he's like, all right, we'll, you know, we'll go to go to the pen here and pull you. He had a very short leash, but he let, he gave him some leeway, you know, to to uh, keep doing what he was doing. And it paid off real well because Tomlin pitched his ass off in game three. Yeah, I mean, it felt like the the, the mindset going in there was that uh, just give us five, go five innings in the, in the bullpen. I'll take it from here. Um. So he did get through those five innings, and it was the sixth when the leadoff hitter singled. That was uh, when his day was finished there. But, uh, no, he looked good, and uh, it, it was a, a good outing. I mean, it makes me a little bit nervous, I guess, that uh, if you're counting on him for just five innings um, and then you're going to come back with Clevenger the next day, that, um, you know, that's really going to – put on the, the workload, put the, put a heavy workload on the bullpen. But, um, you know, that's, that's where we're at. And that's, if the tribe's going to advance here and, and get through this series, that's what it's going to have to come to. You know, guys are going to have to pitch well out of the bullpen and, you, you know, you got to hope that the starters can, um, can hang in there. Yeah. That's what it's going to come down to. I mean, <sighs> We've got Kluber, and we're confident in Kluber. I know that Tomlin pitched really well, and I know that uh, Bauer had a pretty good game one. I feel like as, as good as Boston's lineup was, Tam, or uh, Toronto's, the way that they're hitting right now, probably scares me even a little more just because they're crushing the ball. Um, so I have to think, like, I, I don't I don't know that I can expect those guys to do as well as they did last series, but you have to hope that they do. Um, that's certainly where I think our our weakness is going to be this series because I'm not particularly worried about uh, Toronto's pitching. They're they're good, but they don't you know they don't terrify me. No, Toronto's got a great lineup though. Um, oh yeah, and especially the way and, and they're hot right now. So that's that's one thing that's nice is I think the layoff for us. Um, gives us time to rest up our arms because that's what we were leaning on so much in that series was, you know, the bullpen and the pitching. Um, meanwhile, those guys, they beat Texas by just hitting the cover off the ball. And when you're hitting the ball that well, you don't want to break. You want to keep playing. So you have to hope that, you know, maybe this layoff is a little slows them down a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking here at just, trying to think about some ways like what where are the tribe's advantages what what kind of things can they exploit and the one big thing that i came across and i'm going to be kind of keeping an eye out for um is uh running the bases and you know the tribe was very good about pushing the advantage uh on the bases taking an extra base you know yeah, they were aggressive i mean you know, yeah that was that was something that roberto perez did he, he tagged up on that ball in game one on a fly ball to left field and the next hitter comes up and, and drives him in with a single. And um, that ended up not to be the go ahead. run. That was the game winning run. So um, yeah, you got things like that. And then, um, you know, uh, Rajay Davis led 
the American League in steals this year, and I I think the Indians in general are pretty good at, at stealing bases, very aggressive. And Toronto's catcher Russell Martin is one of the worst in the league at throwing out runners trying to steal. So I think that's something that if the Indians get guys on, uh, I think they're going to push the advantage there early and often. I sure hope so. I think that's that's been a pretty big, you know, um, pretty big. I'm not even sure, but something that's definitely stood out to me this year is that they're really aggressive on the base path. And it doesn't just have to be Rajay Davis. You see Jose Ramirez, you take bases. Um, you see Kipnis and Lindor take bases every once in a while. Um, everyone is trying to get in the scoring position. Um, it seems like at all times. And even occasionally you'll see guys take third when you don't. The, the situation doesn't always call for it. The situation rarely calls for you to steal third. But um, if they think there's a slight advantage to be gained by it and they like their odds, they're not afraid to do it, which um, which is nice to see. I mean, it's nice that they're all out there. They're all aggressive and they're they're going a lot the whole time. And that's what I mean. Those little things make a huge difference in the playoffs. That's where, um, you know, little runs can be can make a huge difference in, in that way. And I'm trying to remember which game it was. Um, I think it was. The Giants series, I want to say, what's their, what's their catcher's name? Posey? Buster Posey. Buster Posey. Um, I was watching the game on Friday last week, and they had him, and he was just kind of, there was like a, a, a pop fly, and he was just kind of lazy off of first base, and basically he, he was, he, he just didn't run the, the, the bases very aggressively. He was on base, and some guy popped up, and he ended up getting stranded at third when he easily should have scored just because he was, you know, a little hesitant. And that makes a huge difference in the playoffs um, between winning and losing games. And I got to say, if we're going to go out there and we're going to steal a run and steal, steal a run here and steal a run there. Um, I like our chances of doing that a lot more than I like theirs. I agree. I, uh, yeah, I, I got nothing to add to that because uh, I think you're absolutely on the right track. And it, it's one of those things that you see during the regular season and, you know, you, you might see it in the, the sixth inning of a game in, in August that you don't really remember, but you see enough of them. And if a team's used to doing that come this time of the year, they're able to do it. While a team who, you know, maybe they're in a position where they need to do it, but it's not something they always do. The team that's used to doing it has a huge advantage in that position. So. I think the fact that it's already drilled in and that's sort of, you know, that's sort of how they play. That's part of their, their style and it's what they're all used to. Um, that can be, that can be the difference between winning and losing games at this point in the season. Definitely. All right. Anything else on the, uh, on the field stuff with, um, with, with the tribe here and the uh, getting ready for the series that uh, starts tomorrow night? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, what do you got? Well, I was going to say, you know, the the one thing that's kind of, you know, past the time here with the discussions uh, on uh, TV and um, elsewhere uh, while we're waiting for this series to get started since, you know, this one, uh, the, the Tribe and uh, Toronto both wrapped up their division series so early. So uh, TBS getting uh, <laughs> dragged to put it uh, mildly Ugh. for for the uh, the coverage of uh, of the Indians uh, division series against Boston 
and really just their their playoff coverage in general. It's been rough. That's an understatement. I um, uh, it's it's been terrible, and I I don't I'm not usually crush announcers guy, um, but the TBS teams were just so. They were just dreadful. I love Ernie Johnson. Don't get me wrong. We're in agreement on this. Ernie Johnson um, can do no wrong except call baseball games. He's the best studio host for like pregame and postgame and halftime shows. And that's where he belongs. That I've ever seen. I mean, he he's the best. And Inside the NBA is the best studio show for sports going and it's been that way for a very long time and he plays a huge role in that because if you you look at the different personalities that they have on that crew you need a a central force that's going to keep everybody on track and facilitate the conversation and, and be the straight man while everybody else is doing their thing and and he plays that role to perfection and um yeah i i don't really it, it sucks because i'm sure they want to throw him a bone and, and I know he's, I think he's been with Turner for like 25 or 30 years. And I think his dad worked for them as well. Um, and yeah, I, I know they want to, you know, kind of give him some more things. I mean, it's kind of like in some ways similar to like Chris Fowler who did college game day for 20 years and finally got the move up to be the number one college football announcer for ESPN. Um, and I, I mean, Fowler, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's bad per se, but I mean, he's not Brent Musburger. I mean, no, if you're listening not. to the I'm... big game, you want to still hear Brent. And instead, yeah. Brent Musburger's shuffled over to uh, the SEC network while you, know, you got Fowler doing the big game every week. And, um, you know, I, and it's it sucks in terms of TBS because it's like you said, everybody loves Ernie Johnson. Um, he's got a great story and, and I don't think anybody wants to necessarily criticize him, but, um, you know, I just, I felt like TBS in general, I I just, the thing that's so baffling to me is they're not new to this. Like they've been doing playoff baseball. Now this is their 10th year. And they, I mean, they, it was rough for them in the beginning. Like I can remember the first year that they did the division series was 07 when the Indians were playing the Yankees and they had chip Carey. Um, you know, Harry Carey's grandson doing uh, play-by-play for their number one crew. And a lot of the same things that people were complaining about with this series, it was the same stuff that we were saying nine, nine years ago with, with Chip Carey and and the guys that he was working with. And it's just like, they just, I, I felt like they, they just, they did not, they, how do I want to say this? I think they went in with a game plan thinking about the Red Sox and, and they know the Red Sox are the more household names. And I mean, you know, baseball is such a localized sport. I don't really think anybody outside of Cleveland knows anybody on the Indians. I mean, we were talking about that on here. Was it last week or the week before? Um, just about how few people that we know of in baseball outside of the Indians. Now, I mean, it's a very localized sport. So you know, you get to the playoffs and now all of a sudden it's a national sport and it's difficult because you've got so few household names. Everybody knows Big Poppy. And it just felt like, you know, they went into that series with a game plan of really kind of talking that up. And it's just like when the series didn't really go according to plan, uh, 
just really couldn't adjust. And it, yeah, they didn't adjust at all. And it really got the most listen. pronounced, I felt like, in Game 3. Yeah. It just, you know, everything that they were presenting was just around, like, well, how can David Ortiz get one more at bat? And, you know, it's like, was it either Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts? They kept, like, Ron Darling must have dropped the same statistic about one of those two guys leading the team in home runs since August 27th or some random ass stat. And it was just like, yeah, okay. He hits home runs and he's had a nice six weeks. Like we get it. Um, it just, and then finally when Chisenhall caught the last out, it was like all of a sudden, Hey, what a great story for the Indians. It's like, well, yeah, where the hell have you been for the first three games of this? So, um, right. Yeah. They were doing all this stuff about, you know, Big Poppy, this and all these guys, and blah, blah blah. It's like, oh, they're down four one. You're not. This isn't, you know, Red Sox Network. It's no. supposed to be a national show, and it felt like it, it felt like you were watching, you know, the the home team broadcast. And, and I think that's that's kind of a common complaint people seem to have when you go from watching your local announcers all year to all of a sudden going to like the postseason when you're listening to national broadcasts. I know that's something that, you know, I, I saw a lot of people on Facebook complaining about during the Cavs playoffs. You know, it's like, why do these announcers hate our team? And I, I normally shrug a lot of that stuff off. But I don't think it's that they hated us. I think it's just they didn't do their homework. Well, they didn't know yeah, what they were it, talking about. The, the thing with it is like, I just, if you're used to listening to announcers all year, whose job it is, is to, you know, talk about things from your team's perspective. When you get somebody who's not all in on your perspective and is trying to do things, you know, presenting both teams um, side of the story, so to speak, um, it's a little jarring. So a lot of that I'm willing to dismiss, but where what's really kind of the, the mark for me is like, when I'm listening to a crew that I don't normally listen to, and, and let's be honest, like the Indians don't really get many national TV games. I can't even remember the last time they were on Sunday night baseball. Um, so, um, you know, it's, I think even more pronounced with the Indians that we, we really have to rely on listening to Matt Underwood and Rick Manning do TV. I mean, they're, they're doing 150 plus games a year. So the real benchmark for me when I'm listening to a national broadcast is like, how many things am I going to learn about my team that I don't get from just listening to the local guys and and what they bring to the table? And I don't feel like I learned anything about the Indians that I didn't already know um, listening to these guys in this series. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I don't know that I learned a whole lot about Boston that I didn't already know either, but I did sure as hell hear them talk about a lot of stuff that I did already know. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I'd be willing to kind of just shrug this off and say, well, no big deal. We're moving on now, but these are the same guys and this is the same crew that we're going to have for the, the league championship series. So fingers crossed you get through this, then um, Fox has the world series, but uh, as kind as, as sort of annoying and bad as, as the, the end game stuff was that studio show was even worse. It is such a horribly like lazy knockoff of the of the NBA show. Yeah, it's just horrible. I said to someone the other day, I said it almost felt like if you turned Pedro around, you'd see Barkley's name on the back of his chair. <laughs> they were clearly just like, okay, you're going to be this character and you're going to be this guy, and it was so like lazy and boring. And it's like and we're going to give each of you a gimmick. So yeah, uh, you've got the Sheffield, Opry and Ernie Johnson. Pan out, 
Yeah. And Sheffield, you're going to pass out cigars. And I don't remember what Jimmy Rollins' stupid thing that he did was. And Pedro had something stupid that he did. And then he pissed everyone off by doing a war chant like an idiot. Yeah, then they had um, the stupid uh, postcard thing where they showed the picture of Moscow's burning river and right. trying to say that's Cleveland. You know? a, a great so timely reference from something that happened 47 yeah, years their, ago. So That's their gone fishing moment, I guess. Right, they, exactly. They, so. it, like Everything about it was that it was the NBA show, just at, at a much less entertaining level. Yeah. Um, but truthfully, I don't know that. I don't know that the, the thing is that NBA show works because those guys all work together all the time. I don't think you can throw those guys in a studio for baseball once every, you know, no TBS has cycled guys. They, they've cycled guys through that show like every year. I don't think they've had the same four guys in their, their post game show for baseball um, consecutive years. Like I remember Dennis Eckersley did it one year. Um, Pedro has been through before, but I mean, all the guys around them have been, um, different it seems like every year so and, and even like the host like that guy they got hosting now i don't even know who that is i have no idea who he is i mean matt weiner was doing it for a while and he's really good too but um he's i know him more for doing uh i feel like he's done more nba stuff but um he's doing i think sideline or you know in-game reporting for the playoffs for turner so yeah it just um and not to just pile on here but my god the graphics that they use during the game just absolutely drove me nuts. I don't know how you manage to take up that much space on the screen and still show less than, <laughs> you know, less information than what you get from Fox. Horrible. I think they finally added the pitch count. They did. It, they it, definitely it, didn't have it at the beginning. Of the no, screen, and right? I, I don't need that, that gigantic strike zone thing on the right side of the screen. You could cut that thing in half if you, if you really feel hell bent on having that and, that obnoxious score box across the top of the screen, which, by the way, my um, uh, 11-year-old HDTV, yeah, this is an HDTV I have in my living room, and um, but it's an older model. It cuts off the pit, uh, the uh, the count. So, like, I don't know what the hitter's count is when I'm watching oh. games in my living room. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not... <laughs> And I understand it's like, I don't get a new TV and it's not really a problem anywhere else in my house, but it's like, you know, if you're going to take, how do you take up that much of the screen and and still have things getting cut off? I just, it's, it's so bizarre. So I'm watching the uh, Dodgers uh, Nats game right now. And me too. They what they have is probably perfect. Yep. For what you should have on the screen. Um, Score count bases inning and, pitch count and batter very small takes up very little real estate i'll admit sometimes i kind of like that strike thing i like having it there um but i think it probably just takes up too much yeah Um, you could have that and just not make it like so huge like just shrink it down or something right if you just like if if you're looking at this fox one you could put it you know take up an extra two inches you know next to the score that they already have in there with that part alone and it would you know not really be a distraction it wouldn't but on theirs it just feels like it's taken up so much damn space um and i saw someone was complaining about the camera angles that they had or maybe that was fox actually that someone that was said, fox and they already said that and they already said they're going back to they're the giving up yeah that the first couple games over at wrigley for the cubs that's what it was they they rather than the traditional you know 
slightly askew and and that we'd normally get from behind the pitcher. They had this super high up angle that was straight behind the pitcher and just looked like it was, you know, filming from like the next counting over. Did you see it? Yes. Okay. I didn't, I, it it looked very weird. It it, it just, it looked so far away that um, it really, it looked like they were like three blocks away from where they were shooting it. Just difficult to watch. Yeah. I didn't mind the like straight on angle and it gives you a better read on whether a pitch is a ball or a strike, but um, you know, find the zoom on that, uh, that lens or something. I, it just, I don't know. (laughs) Gotcha. Nice. Just doesn't really feel like the time of the year where you should be like trying to tinker with things. Oh dear God. What is he doing? (laughs) Jason Worth just got thrown out at home by about 50 feet. Oh, he was like three steps past third base. Did he run through a stop sign there? I, I don't know. I saw him going and I said, what the hell is this guy doing? Because I'm telling you, if the third base coach was waving him in, that third base he, coach might be available for work tomorrow. That uh... that was bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyways. Anyway. Um. All right. I think we've uh, we, we've cooked TBS good. enough. I I had to get that out, and I feel no, better I'm now. With you. So. And it's been a it's been a hot topic of conversation around town the last few days. Well, we've had so I, much time off. This is the, the 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 price you pay for you know kicking ass and taking care of business and sweeping your first round series. So yeah, I saw Leon Bibb was going in on him. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because like he he wasn't the only one, and and I just I kind of rolled my eyes at most of that stuff because it just felt like the local news stations just going for the cheap pop of like us against the world and and, and just trying to rally up the local audience to you know give them some cheap ratings or whatever but the leon bib thing was kind of next level when he's basically telling tbs to come catch these hands down by the dock i think think it was a solid come at me bro uh as much as you'll get from uh from senor bib but that, I, that I was good of it and he's like sometimes you just gotta roll up your sleeves and get ready to fight i'm like what are you <laughs> talking about it's tv coverage of a baseball game <laughs> like i thought it was terrible but you guys took it way more personally than i thought anyone would I, i'm not even sure the chamber of commerce was that mad don't piss off the bib that's the <laughs> Oh, God bless. That's phenomenal. All right. Um, do Anything else we want to get, get in here before we uh, re- close up shop? Um, no. Uh, my old lady, she's running a half marathon this weekend. So oh. I'm in Columbus watching that, which means I will not be in town for games one and two, which is sort of a downer. You could enjoy the fine coverage of uh, TBS. So yes, yes, I will. But I'll probably be at a bar, so I won't have to listen to them. Well, you, your your Saturday's all lined up for you because you know yeah. got the tribe at what four o'clock, and that'll roll pretty much directly right into the Buckeyes' big uh, eight o'clock game against uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, it's funny. Um, one thing I did notice: um, the only time the Indians are going to be on prime time um, is when the NL is not playing. Right. So, folks out there, if you're wondering what's the logic behind it, A, the NL game is going to feature someone that is at least an hour behind, if not more than that. Um, and B, the Cubs are a much bigger draw than Cleveland and Toronto. They're, they're just the biggest story of the playoffs right now. So, yeah, they're going to get that primetime slot. And I'm, I'm 
kind of fine with it. I mean, yeah, it's going to be sort of annoying that I'm going to be at work for some of these games. Um, but, oh, man, we got a tie ball game. Jock Peterson's real jacked. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, the Cubs are, are, are... Anyway, the Cubs are going to get the primetime slot, and that's just the way it is, and that's fine. There's no, really no point complaining about it, so... No. Um, kind of had a feeling, especially because, like, Toronto, uh, you know, you're going to have all of Canada watching that, that series, but none of that counts for TBS and right. and, and their ratings, so that's... Having a, a Canadian team in your league championship series is ratings death for a network, so uh, you couple that with the fact that the Cubs are pretty much America's team. Um, this is what you get. So late afternoons, long shadows, uh, all that fun stuff. It's all right. It's fine. Beats, uh, beats being at home. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, late afternoon and, uh, be just in time for Jonathan Lucroy to you know, go pour himself a lemonade, lay on his sit back and uh, settle in. Yep. Good for yep, him. It'll be, uh, be, should be fun. Uh, I, I don't think it'll it'll go as smoothly as the last series did. I think we're in for a fairly long one. So I would uh, agree. Look forward to. It. I think it'll be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, this will be a, this will be a good one. This will be a great test. And uh, if it's anything like what uh, we got in the regular season, it should be a hell of a series. So, all right, man. I think uh, it's a good place to to wrap it up. So uh, you know, everybody, uh, go subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Check out our website, thenailpodcast.com. And uh, we will be back next week. Um, sure, we'll be talking uh, plenty of baseball, uh, good, bad, or ugly. We'll see how things go here with the tribe and maybe uh, sneak in a little bit of football talk with uh, the Buckeyes. And I don't know, maybe we'll even uh, fall bass backwards into some Browns coverage. We'll, uh, we'll see. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no promises. No promises. All right, so for Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.